0: This is Rugga Matrix America. Hey, welcome to the show, everybody. This is Alex Goff, editor-in-chief of RugbyMag.com. We are all here talking about Club 7s because the Club 7s championships are coming right around the corner. And with us on the show, we've got Jackie Finlan from RugbyMag.com. We have Bruce McLean, who's from well, we don't know actually. I think he came down from some kind of mothership uh, just a just uh, you know a few years ago, fully formed human being. And we've got Pat Clifton from RugbyMag.com. And everybody having a great summer. We're right at the end of the the Sevens Club season, and. Now, how are we feeling about that? First of all, Bruce, uh, you actually went to a 7th tournament. Look at you.
1: I actually did go to a 7th tournament. and that you know it, it would almost be like the song Come Sail Away. And I don't know if you remember the South Park episode, but Cartman sang it. And, and uh, that would be, I guess, me coming down from the mothership. Uh, yes, I did go to a 7th tournament this weekend to say hello and check things out and look at some of the... Uh, Actually, I went more to see the high school stuff than sure. I did see the the men, but I, I wound up seeing it and and enjoying it. So I got a a couple
0: comments on it, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, actually, you're also there was Jackie Finland, who was working on. Well, okay, you you were reporting on it, you were helping host it, and you played in it.
2: It was a busy day. Yeah. So,
0: so we just, I, when, whenever I called you, uh, I couldn't get hold of you because you were off running doing something else. Yeah. Busy
2: day. Lots of good rugby.
0: Yeah. How did your team do? Oh,
2: we did okay. <laughs> we had split it up into an alumni and the a so everybody was playing everywhere.
0: Well, and, and Pat, your team, well, they struggled a little bit too, didn't they?
3: They did fairly awful, um, but that's all right, so yeah we had fun the guys got to play in a, in a stadium and on a jumbotron and for a division three club that's that's fun enough I suppose at a qualifier
0: excellent well we we well we're talking about those different ones so uh first off in the west that was the Denver sevens and Pat you were there uh it was held at dick sporting goods stadium so it was held in a stadium uh, and uh I'll talk a little bit about and uh, the teams and and who won uh but but, well, first first of all, the upshot was that um, we had four teams that had a really good shot of getting the seeds to nationals because it's a it's a point system in the West. You play in three different tournaments, and, and you accumulate points. So this wasn't a West Championships. It was the culmination of that. And in the end, uh, Denver Barbarians won, and they ended up with the most points. So they're the number one seed. And they defeated the Kansas City Blues, uh, who've done very well. So those are your two seeds from there. Um, and, and and while talking about um, what you what you saw and what you liked there, Pat, I also curious about the crowd. You you have this this uh, event in a big stadium. Um, was was there much of a crowd there?
3: You know, honestly, there wasn't, and that's kind of sadly there wasn't. Uh, you know, Howard Kent is the yeah. guy who put it all together. He does pretty much everything for the Denver um, barbarian sevens. It was really, really well run, really well put together. The facilities were fantastic. Teams really had access to the locker rooms throughout the day. Um, it was, it was fantastic, but, uh, no, there weren't a lot of people in the stands. Part of it is, you know, Howard does such a good job doing all the other administrative parts. There wasn't a whole lot of marketing going on. And, uh, I know he, he came to me and said, some people were complaining about, well, my brother's not going to pay 12 bucks to get in the stadium. And his response was, well, you know, I'm sorry, this tournament wasn't nice enough for you. So, uh, you, you, Dan, if you do, Dan, if you don't, he tries to do something really cool. And some people, you get some backlash about people who weren't playing actually having to pay to get into the stadium. But, um, you know, I think it was a great thing and I think he's going to do it again. Um, and so that was really cool. To, the, but, the I, you know, the, the fans, there weren't a yep. ton of them. Hopefully next year that's there's an improvement. It, it, it's,
0: it's a continued uh, battle to remind people that, you pay you know there's nothing wrong with paying to go see a rugby event and not just the eagles but something elite level like a championship sevens tournament what's wrong with paying 12 bucks 12 bucks is nothing 12 bucks is um you know a lot less than most of the things people will do on a weekend so Uh, plus if you add in the
3: fact that uh it's 100 plus degrees and the sun's beating down on you I'd pay 12 bucks just to have a nice seat to sit in the shade. So that alone is worth it, let alone, you know, forget everything
0: else that was going you on. You bet. All right. Well, who played well?
3: Uh, obviously, the Barbos played really well. Um, they, they've played really well all summer. The Kansas City Blues have kind of come from nowhere. They they were in a string of, I think, 11 straight qualifier wins um, before they lost in the final of the Barbos. Uh, they also won a tournament down in Tulsa between between qualifiers. So both of those guys played really, really well. Glendale had been playing good. Um, Though they added in three guys pretty much straight into the starting lineup who hadn't played all season because of injuries. had in Spencer Scott, Nessie Malifa, and uh, and uh, Max Statler, all three guys are very good. You know, Nessie and, and, and Spencer both have national championships as sevens players under their belt, um, and Max is one of their best, You know, if not the best, 15s we may have. So they added in those guys, and I understand why you put in that talent, but I think they suffered a little bit in terms of continuity because of it. Um, but nonetheless, they played really well. Um, and, I, you know, honestly, I think the West this year, um, teams one through six, if you include the Oklahoma Rugby Academy, uh, are is probably the most competitive league in the country. There are better teams in there than there are in the West and other places in the country. But in terms of just overall competitiveness, one through six here could compete in any of the unions. Um, but, yeah, Denver looks really good with Maximo de Oshval, Ben Hapapuro. But they've also got some some young guys. And Kyle Hitt um, from Northern Colorado – Hunter Leland has made a huge difference for them this year. Brendan Cox from Colorado. Tommy Pask is playing sevens and playing well. So they, um, you know, and Jake Humphrey, he's been playing there for a long time. The biggest addition is Taylor Howden. That guy was uh, one of the linchpins on the on the Belmont Shore Championship team last year. He's playing. He, he's not as fit as he was last summer, but he's still playing really well. Um, and and the Blues are just a team of guys you've never heard of, but uh, they play really well together and play a strong pattern. And they've got enough speed that when that pattern Works, they can, uh, they can burn you for some tries. I,
0: I guess the, the, the thing that always happens in, in the sevens uh, season uh, is we start asking, who do they have? You mentioned some names and, uh, on, the, on the Barbarians. One of the things that perhaps is the biggest change for them is Mark Bachhoven coming in to coach them. A uh, very recent former Eagle coming in to coach them uh, brings a lot different kind of viewpoint than somebody who hasn't been playing at an elite level recently.
3: Yeah, it's uh, I mean, definitely. It, the other thing you get with a new coach is um, more energy and some enthusiasm that you haven't had before. And uh, I think that he, he is definitely relishing the role of being a coach and implementing some of the things that he's learned. I mean, what coach, I'm not saying, I don't want to put words in Mark's mouth, but what player in America doesn't think he would do things a little bit differently than his, his coach had given the opportunity? And I think that he's relishing the chance to, you know, put in some of those things and, and do some of those things. And I, I, a lot of, you know, renewed uh, vigor and energy is going into it. And on top of that, I mean, Mark's extremely experienced at a very high level. So the guy does bring a lot of knowledge to the game. And I think uh, he has the respect of the guys around him. Um, because they played with them. So I think all those things are adding up and helping Denver as well as some of the new talent. And I think one of the biggest things Denver's lacked in the past is just sheer speed. Well, Hunter Leland and Taylor Howden are guys that can hit home runs from anywhere on the field. Taylor, not because of his speed necessarily, but because of, uh, you know, his footwork and the way he plays, whereas Denver has lacked a guy who can hit a home run from anywhere on the field. Um, really the last couple of years since they lost to Juan Reed. So I think, I think you're right. Coaching is a big part of that, but uh, speed is something that Denver actually has a little bit of now that they haven't had before.
0: You know, the other thing about uh, Bachhoven is that he's uh, got a fitness background, got a, a personal training background. And that brings us over a little, if we move a little bit East, we start talking about the, uh, the Midwest and the Midwest, the, The top team is run by Aaron Mannheimer, who is also a fitness expert. That's what he does for a living. Um, He gets his players fit. I think that's very important in sevens. The difference between the Midwest and the West is that, uh, like you said, Pat, the West has four, maybe five teams that are uh, really competitive. And the Midwest, they had a lot of teams playing, and I think a lot of teams sort of in that second layer who were okay. But we went into the last tournament, again, with a point system here. It wasn't a tournament championship. It wasn't a territorial championship. It was just a, the final of a series. And it was pretty much a foregone conclusion. We knew the Chicago Lions were going to be the number one seed, and young bloods from Minneapolis were going to be the number two seed. They had finished first and second in the first three tournaments. And, and all the Lions had to do actually was show up and register their team, and they would have been first pretty much. Um, and they they showed up, and they actually still won the tournament. Um, there was some talk about maybe I don't know whether they need they didn't need to play the final. They wanted to play the final anyway. I think Youngbloods uh, selected down for that final, and they got shut out because it didn't matter. There really was a massive gap between the Lions and Youngbloods. It goes it goes if you really rank them, it's like Lions are number one, Youngbloods are like number three, and everybody else is starting number seven and moving down 1823 has usually had a good team, not so strong this year, struggle with player availability, continuity, like you talk about and, and fitness. Uh, and the big, the big issue for, uh, and I'm, I'm I want, I want, uh, Bruce to say something about this. Cause he usually has something to say about injuries and how to deal with them. The big the big issue for the Chicago lions is they've had a bunch of guys hurt. They lost Matt to Goudis in the final, uh, two weeks ago, they lost Mark Roberts in the final in a game they probably they didn't need to play against Youngbloods. Uh, they've lost a few other players. They've kept going, kept winning. But Bruce, when a team starts getting hit by injuries like this, even if they're still winning, does it undercut their confidence? Does it start to eat at them? They're like, oh, I can't believe we lost another one. I How what are we going to do?
1: That injuries play. A role and confidence, and you know, the mental part of the game is so huge that you need to be able to work your way through that. And a lot of your self-talk has to be positive. Like, is is your self-talk hindering you in the event of a calamity or something? Something goes wrong, or is your self-talk empowering you? So, if you can get a team that has empowering self talk and believes in itself and believes in their systems and believes in their team they can overcome a bit of adversity i think that when it happens you start to you start to think about things that are external to your ability to control it and if you can you can only control what you can control and you can't control things like injuries and stuff like that so you just have to you have to just go with the flow and that's easier said than done and and I think that it really comes down to you have a strong mental approach because physically a lot of the teams are very similar. It's the teams that have a better mentality. And, and getting on to the injuries, one of the things that I see, and, and even this weekend in the Northeast, there's five games in one day. And I think that five games in one day is very rough on sevens teams on top of the fact that I don't know that the coaches necessarily always manage sevens teams particularly well in terms of you winning by 30 points or 25 points and you still keep on piling it on, running those 80-yard sprints for tries and things of that nature. And I, and I think that a lot of times that just takes its toll on people. and It's a matter of I think we need to get a little bit better, A, at having tournaments where we, where we don't have quite as many games, and and also, I think the coaches need to learn how to manage the tournaments a little bit better, and I think they'll, they'll alleviate some of their injury issues.
0: Yeah, I think the intensity, that's a very, very good point. Uh, Chicago Lions still has a lot of good players. Uh, Rocco Maurer, uh, um, Eddie Blumenthal was saying he's playing with a lot more confidence, and I think that something we saw Rocco Maurer uh, when he was really great was he... He saw a gap. He he made a decision. He would take it. He has a really nice grubber kick and chase. He was using that, but then when he got on the the USA team, he felt a little bit like uh, worried about making mistakes. And the mistakes he made were usually sins of omission, not doing things that, um, not not taking charge. Uh, Max Naruski, young Max Naruski playing well. Eddie Blumel, uh, playing uh, well for them. Also, um, J.P. Eloff has been. Uh, superb. I'd love to talk more about the Youngbloods, but they never call me back, so uh, I'm not going to really talk about them. Um, You were at the Northeast, Bruce. Uh, Jackie, you were also there, uh, and and that one was a territorial championship. Uh, Old Blue and Nyack had sort of been trading uh, successes through the season. Old Blue, I think, won two, and Nyack won one, and Old Blue ended up winning. Nyack came second. Um, and, And I And I guess, apart from Middlesex, Middlesex really pushed Old Blue and uh, almost beat them in the semifinal. Really, nobody else was pushing. So, Jackie, first of all, um, do you feel like it was really Old Blue and Nyack and the rest? Or did the, the rest of the teams feel like they had a shot?
2: No, I definitely agree it was the Old Blue and Nyack show. And Middlesex is definitely right in there. They played Nyack during pool play and lost by eight points. So... It really was um, just waiting until the semifinals to see how it was going to play out. And, uh, yeah, Oboe, they, they played Nyak. Oboe and I played, to, uh, played it really close at halftime. They were tied. Um, and then they just kicked into the year and second half and uh, scored another three tries in the second half, and it was pretty much
0: all they wrote. What was it? What was the difference?
2: Well, they were – I think they were a little more um, – they were more sure in their tackling and in their, in their contact area, they were able to wrap up NIAC so they couldn't get the, the offload and keep continuity going. And uh, once they all uh, committed to that kind of strategy that really suffocated um, NIAC's
0: attack. So, so Bruce, uh, NIAC, often a, a, a performer at national championships, um, but they struggle to get up to that upper echelon. Um, what did you What did you see from from Nyack, your club, this weekend? Well, first, Middlesex put in
1: a pretty admirable performance against against Nyack and Old Blue, and actually they were down two in the semifinal to Old Blue and had to kick a goal from about twenty yards out in front of the sticks, and they landed. And I, I talked to Josh after the game. I was like, Why did you run it? and he just said that the guys were tired and that's what they wanted to do. So, I mean, I, I probably would have taken the kick on the bell and taken a chance at it. But, you know, so that that could have turned the whole tournament on its head. With with Nyack, uh, they, had, they had basically played with... Al McFarlane had to go to work, so he missed the final. But after the semi, it was kind of a foregone conclusion. Who's going anyway? And both of the pools that they're in are relatively even. And and then New York Athletic Club just, I I think, pretty much physically fell apart. I think that early on, Nyack had the better of of Old Blue and and had them under quite a bit of pressure and had scored a try through Chris Matina, made a wonderful play. And then they put Old Blue under a a bit of pressure and and took a penalty at about the two-yard line. and And then that kind of gave Old Blue a lease on life then late in the half, Max Levine took a quick tap penalty instead of just kicking it out and and ending the half on a seven on a seven uh, seven nothing lead and we wound up turning over the ball and old Bruce scored. And I think that that just kind of got old Bruce jets going and 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 the New York Athletic Club team essentially physically fell apart in the second half. They just didn't have any they really were not a threat in any way. And and I think that Going into the Nationals, you know, part of, the, and I've discussed this with Tom Rooney and Al Caravelli, is that a lot of what happens to us, you know, my team in particular, is when we have a successful Super League campaign, we tend to have a pretty crappy sevens campaign because a lot of the guys are beaten up and, and just not really interested in playing. And if they do play, they're kind of half-hearted for the first month. And then they try to you know they try to rock up and get into it and, and the fact of the matter is there are some really good sevens teams who take it really seriously and and who are very well prepared and 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 our coaches prepare and but I, our players aren't necessarily as uh haven't necessarily been as fully dedicated as perhaps they had been in the fifteenth season and i and I think that that plays a large role in it. And that's not to say that they, they take away anything from their effort, but a, a lot of things it, we, we rely quite a bit on college kids and, and, and former Xavier kids and things of that nature to, to carry us through. And, 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 and many times we're just, you know, we're, we, we, where we wind up is essentially where we deserve to be. We are, you know, we Pat has seen us play several times during the season. And, and, you know, the, biggest criticism of the New York AC teams is that you don't have any depth. That's right. You have no speed. And in in sevens, you kind of got to ha- you got to have at least a couple players who can who can score from 50 60 yards. And and we don't necessarily have that of we have guys who can do it against poor teams. We don't have guys who can do it against the teams.
0: Yeah, I I I, I... I I think that's I think that's a big thing on on AC certainly and and uh, perhaps the other thing is that you've got you know, the AC 15's team uh your your second row back row is has often been really really strong but I I don't think of those guys as being ones who who turn around and say I'm going to go play prop in the 7s team. And so you don't necessarily have a lot of uh height plus speed plus experience that uh you know a team like Denver might have.
2: Yeah, I
3: I mean
1: Neil Neil McMillan took a concussion in the previous week. He wound up diving on the ball and the guy had fly hacked it. It was not a dirty play in any way, but you know, he got kicked in the head and was and was pretty loopy on his way down to the life camp. Uh so he was at the field but he was unavailable to play. And I, I don't know that he that it would have made a whole hell of a lot of difference anyway. I, I just I do think that, you know, Hunley is a gifted player and, and Chris Chapman is a gifted player and Joe Hunt's a gifted player, Jimmy Kowalski, Chris Matina, Max Levine. They, they all play decent rugby. The fact of the matter is none of them can outrun a guy like a Luke Hume or a, or a Steve Stridham or, you know, there's they, just a different gear. And when you don't have that explosiveness and you don't have that capability to score quickly, Fast in a sevens game, the half gets away on you. And, you know, the AC had a ton of pressure in the first half and came away with seven points and then pitched away possession and gave up seven points.
0: All right. one, we will be taking a quick break and we'll be uh, touching on some other topics uh, on sevens. But uh, one thing that I forgot to mention about the Chicago Lions, one of the key players that's registered with them and hasn't played all season. Uh, is Paul Emmerich, and the reason that's key is that uh, Emmerich is registered with the Lions so that he's now undergoing a a suspension because of the red card he got against Italy that his not being used by the Lions in the seventh tournament actually counts toward his suspension. It means that he'll be able to get back uh, as a player uh, by the beginning of September, which is kind of interesting. We will be right back on Rugged Matrix America.
3: Hey, fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots, Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off.
1: Go to RugbyImports.com.
0: Okay, we're back on Rugby Matrix America. We were talking about the Club 7's championships, and we just... Uh, uh, Signed off on the the Northeast Championships, but also at the Northeast Championships was the Northeast Women's Championships, and um, we didn't have the massive weekend that uh, um, we had f- f- in the men, where you know we we had seven territories decide uh, champions or or seeds to nationals uh, this uh, in one weekend. The only the only area where we didn't where they decided something early was in Hawaii, where uh, the the Tamalei Lions. Qualified some time ago, but for the women, it's been trickling in a little bit differently. But Jackie, you were there for the the women in uh, Northeast. Yes. Um, what did you see there, and and what also happened uh, elsewhere in the country?
2: Well, akin to the men's tournament where nyack and Old Blue dominated, it was the Boston Bells in New York who pretty much shut out the rest of the field, and they saw each other in the final once again, which which is what they've done all season. But the Bells, they just really dominated the entire match. Uh, I know New York, they were only really playing nine, ten players top. They had a really, like, a really short bench. Um, Players like Amy Daniels, uh, Danielle Miano just, like, ran circles around them, and it ended in, like, a 42-7 to win. Um, So they are definitely the strongest team um in the northeast without question and new york actually forfeited their seed to nationals so the falcons which is another all-star team like the bells in the boston area they're all college kids they'll be they finished third so they'll be taking the second seed um out of the northeast okay
0: so so why did why did new york um uh, decide not to not to go
2: they just didn't have the wherewithal whether the money, the players, they experienced a bunch of injuries this summer. That's why they only had nine, ten players eligible. Um, they just knew they they were gonna rest up and get ready for the fall. But they still wanted to finish they still wanted to place at the Northeast Championship so they didn't roll other people in. So they kinda I mean, by that final game they were really beat up.
0: All right. So th- and and that's that's just sort of a harsh fact of the fact it's an amateur game. So um and then in the in the Midwest, uh, I believe it was Chicago North Shore, which really wasn't much of a surprise because they've had so many players who played for the Eagles or are potential Eagles on that group.
2: Right. They had North Shore and Youngbloods, which is a first-year team for the women's side. Uh, they'd been seeing each other in the finals all season. They had a three-series uh, qualifier. And they had played. They've been trading wins back and forth, but then in the this final this final round they you know put almost 50 points on them in the final um so yeah you have a lot of big players there Christina Mastrangelo
0: Mastrangelo yeah
2: she's um yeah she's their, their big player there and she really drives uh, that team of you younger players like Christian File who's made a big impact uh, moving out to Chicago and uh yeah, they I mean the Youngbloods, though, given a little more time, being like this is their first year. They have people like Christy Ringenberg, Sylvia Broughton, Stacey Bridges. They have the makings of a really great team. But um I think it's just the first year jitters that is causing some inconsistency.
0: Uh Ringenberg's still probably the best seventh one of the best seven players in, in the country, uh in the world possibly. I I big fan of hers. Um Okay, so, so the, that's, that's from your Midwest and also in the Mid-Atlantic. Now, the Mid-Atlantic, I uh, was reporting on a little bit. It's kind of odd because um, they actually didn't play the final because they were, uh, in the Mid-Atlantic, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about, about that on the men's side as well, the weather was horrible. Uh, pouring, pouring with rain, they had several weather delays because of lightning. Uh, they had to move the finals. they actually had to interrupt the men's semifinals in the middle of the games to move them to a to an artificial turf stadium and had to wait for a, a kid's soccer tournament to finish so that they could play it by that point, The women had finished their semifinals and were looking around and saying, "Okay, we can stand around in the rain for another two hours or we can face up to facts." So they all got together. It was Nova. One, Nova Two, which is a separately registered uh, team, interestingly enough, Uh, Philadelphia and the DC Furies, they all got together, they looked at the results and came to a consensus. Nova One was number one, DC Furies number two, Nova uh, Two is number three, and Philadelphia number four. Philly stays home, the other three go to Nationals. So um, that's uh, I would think that's pretty much how people will feel about it. Nova has already w- they won the first national championships. They are still loaded with athletes.
2: Yes. They're led by um, Eagles, Warren Heck, Beth Black, Erica Cavanaugh, all people who've been on the Seventh Circuit this year. Um, it's just unfortunate. I, I mean, imagine coming into this seventh season thinking like if you're a Philadelphia team and you're like, okay, you know, we're not going to beat Nova. We might not beat DC, but we got a shot at this third seed. And then Nova puts in a second test side. Like you said, it totally different zip team, and uh, yeah, they're sending two teams
0: to nationals, which is great. Uh, elsewhere in the country, uh, uh, the the big surprise earlier on, uh, the Pacific Coast, and you wrote, this is exactly what you said pretty much, there's no surprise that Emerald City and Berkeley made nationals, but the big surprise was that the Pacific Coast champions were Seattle, and nobody was really thinking about right.
2: that. Right. Going into that weekend, I... You know, I said I wouldn't be surprised if Berkeley shut out the competition. You know, you know it was going to be an easy championship kind of thing because you know they are the reigning champs and that's what they've been doing in their region all summer. But then Seattle came in there. They're led by Puget Sounds Evan Hay, and he's really turned. He's you know got great players and Carry Carrie White and Megan Sanders, Jess Torres, but he brought like a technically sound, really aggressive, physical team. And that was really their key in um, beating Berkeley. They were really aggressive on the outside to shut down their stellar speed. And uh, you know, Laura Cabrera, the the coach of the All Blue, she gives them all credit that so they totally deserved, totally deserved the win. Um, and you know, gave them a lot of things to look at preparing for nationals.
0: There is a, a one of the coaches with obviously with the whole Seattle setup is Roselli Sarevi. One of the players on the Seattle team is Asenate Serevi, uh, and she is a high school student, uh, Waseli's daughter, and she is, uh, uh, I'm not sure if she's actually played for the USA under-20s yet, but if she hasn't yet, she will very soon. Um, she's a talent. She's definitely a talent, been playing for uh, for Kent. And can you imagine just coaching a team and say, oh, by the way, here's the greatest sevens player of all time. Here's his daughter, and she's a great athlete. Yeah, she
2: was great to watch um, at the national the high school nationals um, and she just towers over the high school kids, so I imagine her making a pretty easy transition
0: excellent so uh the the other big issue let's see the South there's just one team coming out of the south um southern exposure, nobody else wanted to do it, so they're coming through uh the southern california where're where're San Diego and Belmont Shore coming through um that's pretty much as expected, I guess. Uh, and the big and big question about what's coming through in the West? Are we going to get teams from the West at all, or what's going to happen there?
2: Yeah, I'm thinking that nothing's happening with the West, and possibly the military teams, because right now USA Rugby is reshuffling the brackets. They were supposed to be announced yesterday, but it is still pending.
0: Um, so. Okay, so so that's and that that's the the growing pains of this tournament. And I and the the reason we're and, and if you're listening and if you're like Bruce and you're saying why are we talking about women's rugby, there, there's a, there are a couple of reasons for this. First of all, uh, this is all laying the groundwork. And the reason I wanted to talk about this uh, was that uh, if we're if we're going to win an Olympic medal, we have a, probably a better shot right now with the women's team than we do with the men's team. Which means we have to nurture and help uh, the sevens game among women. It's still very young among women other than all-star level, but club level and getting people moving up. That's one thing. And the other thing is, is, is how it's organized because there's still the we, we've got it going properly now with men's rugby where you can basically rework your team from 15s to sevens. Cause it's a totally separate season. You can start a whole new club, Four sevens because the club is, I mean, it's a new season. Why can't you start a new club for a new season? Women, the women did that from the beginning. And what we're seeing now, you you mentioned some, what we call all-star teams. They're just, they're just sevens clubs, right? Jackie, that, I mean, Boston Bells is a sevens club. Falcons are a sevens club. Southern Exposure, sevens club. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter that they didn't play fifteens. And it just seems like the women cottoned onto that a lot faster than the men did.
2: Yeah, and I think it's important in the women's sphere just because of sheer numbers. The Young Bloods, for example, they um, it's the, the Amazons, the Valkyries, Menagerie and then even new men who are all playing on this team. So where there were four teams that didn't have a serious or committed um seventh team playing in the summer, they just, you know, cherry picked the, the players who were serious. So you didn't have to go back if you're a summer player and wonder if there was even going to be a sevens team playing. Um so it was kind of necessary well especially in the midwest because um they they had to get a qualifying system together this year and this is how they started to fill the gap
0: and and people who argue about how this is put together should remember that when you start a 15 season and you get new players don't don't you want that don't, don't you want new players and when you start a, a fifth a seventh season it's a completely new season there's nothing wrong with getting new players including ones from other clubs we want the best competition not make it easiest for certain types of clubs to win um, I think I think the women's the best the best five or six or seven women's Teams are really serious about this. I think we're struggling though to find that next group. I mean, this is a 16-team tournament, and I I, and I don't know if we have 16 teams that should be there.
2: Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, I mean, you have to push it early on just to get it in everybody's mind that you know we're going to have 16 teams, like start rallying around it. But in Southern California, for example, they had four teams uh, going to the qualifiers, and there were really only two who you know deserved. Really, only one that truly deserves to go to nationals, and then Belmont Shore that will probably finish in the
0: bottom four. Okay, well, we will be right back, and we'll wrap up with the other half of the men's bracket here on Rugga Matrix America. Hey everybody, don't forget that the largest rugby tournament in the country is coming up sooner than you think, February 7th, 8th, 9th in Las Vegas. The Las Vegas Invitational It's wrapped around, of course, the USA Sevens International Tournament and it has everything you want in a rugby tournament. Thousands of players, over 200 teams, uh, kids, adults, college, elite level, international level. Uh, you've got the CRC qualifier. You've got... Uh, Women's, 15s and 7s, it's all everybody would ever want in a rugby tournament, and you get to see the USA 7s, and you get to be in Las Vegas. Go to USA7s.com, check on the LVI link, and see how to pre-register. We're right back on Rugged Matrix America. This is Alex Goff with Pat Clifton and Bruce McLean and Jackie Finland talking about the National Club Sevens picture and what's coming up with the Nationals at uh, Treasure Island, the home of San Francisco Golden Gate, August 4th and 5th. If you are near San Francisco, you really should go over there. It's really a great facility. It's a fun tournament. They run it really well. And those, uh, those barbecue beef sandwiches are really good, too. Uh, we we talked a little bit about the horror, horrible weather uh, at the Mid-Atlantic uh, tournament. And the Mid-Atlantic tournament struggled a little bit. We had one team not even show uh, Rocky Gorge. Another team was late because of traffic. Uh, Washington, that sort of really undercut the pool play a little bit. But I think in the end, probably the, the, the top four teams did end up there. Uh, Nova, Norfolk, Schuylkill River. And the Maryland Exiles. Maryland Exiles sort of rebounding from a a pretty bad week the week before. Uh, As we said, weather interrupted the semifinals with five minutes to go in one, and just a little bit under two minutes in another. Uh, They're both very close, but in the end, uh, Maryland and Skillkill River um, made it to the final. The weird, the interesting thing about uh, Skillkill was that their best player is Greg Ambrosi. He is, uh, or, or his nickname is Slice. He injured himself. He didn't play in the previous tournament, and he was uh, cleared to play for this championship, but he didn't take the field through pool play. He didn't take the field until 26 seconds left in the semifinal game. With the game tied, he got the ball once. He went the length of the field, scored the winning try, and then went and sat down, and that was it for him. Um, But it was enough. Got them into the final, and then uh, Skillkill defeated the Exiles to take the top seed. Um, I don't think at the moment and Pat uh, Bruce, if you've, if you've seen them or you, you you get the scuttlebutt, I don't know if you agree with this. I don't think Skoko River is as good this year as they were last year.
3: I, I don't know if that's the case. I, I'd say the mid Atlantic's better this year than they were last year. I mean, the mid Atlantic last year was essentially pretty awful um, outside of Skilko River. And I think, um, you know, Skilko adding Gareth Jones, sure. That's just a name. Um, but that's a pretty good one. Um, so no, I wouldn't count Skokel out. Uh, you're you're say they're not as good. Do I expect them to get all the way back to the final? No. I think they punched a bit above their weight last time, but um,
0: I have no reason to believe that Skokul is not pretty darn good. All right. Well, it's kind of, it's, I don't know. It's kind of the same thing. I, I think the Marfu the competition was good. I like that. But I, I'm just, yeah, I don't think that they're going to make it to the final. I think they're going to be. And maybe maybe it's more, it's a steeper hill to climb this year. I don't know. Um, the South—that's always a big question. The South had their championships. Uh, I uh, really didn't see an awful lot of, of these teams, but um, in the in the end, Atlanta Old White was one of the teams I thought was going to uh, do something. They ended up finishing third. Charlotte was uh, just blew through everybody early on and looked completely untouchable, which was interesting, but. In the end, they lost to uh Daytona in the final now Daytona, the thing about Daytona is that um you know they they really they kind of struggled in um in some of their earlier games, but they've been playing a lot of tournaments and they have some very good players and one of the players that I really like and it'd be interesting to see how he does it at Nationals is Perry Baker uh, he's been around for actually quite a while he's been around for five or six years, and I remember him when he was about eighteen he's tall. And he's got a lot of speed. He's a guy they use on the restarts, and he's certainly one of those danger guys that if he catches that restart uh, on the run, he could just go and score immediately. He's a good player, and I think you know if he's matured and he's filled out a little bit and he's a bit physically stronger, he could be somebody somebody uh, puts on a list somewhere. Uh, it'd be interesting to see um, how they do. But Daytona came out of that one. I think they're good. Um, they might struggle going uh, a little further, deeper uh we've saved the two regions perhaps the strongest regions for last in my opinion um southern california uh pat i know you've been reporting on these uh these guys a lot uh old aztecs this is another point series one it wasn't a championship old aztecs won uh the tournament and that confirmed that they won the whole thing um Finishing second in the series was Belmont Shore. Belmont Shore was defeated, was was upset by Santa Monica in the quarterfinals and had to win their way through to finish fifth to make sure that they made nationals. But they did do that. And um, what, what was that comment, Pat, that you had when we ranked the Sevens teams? And the first time we ranked them, you put in the comment next to Belmont Shore, lost tons of talent. Ellipses tons, and they did. They they lose, lost huge amount of talent, and yet they're still second in Southern California, and then right behind them, Onback and Santa Monica tied, and Onback got the tiebreaker because they they had a better overall points difference through the entire series, and uh and back gets through. Belmont did lose tons of talent.
3: They lost. I mean, you look at their 12-man roster from last year's finals. They lost eight of those 12 and most of them are playing had sipped and played somewhere else in the country this year. Um, So it's not just a change of roster. It's a culture change. Uh, Belmont doesn't have the money to be bringing in people um, and flying them in any longer. Um, But they were able to, you know, put together a real team of young guys and, uh, and really compete. And so I think that that's uh, a statement to the, to the kind of youth movement they're undergoing um, and they've kind of been forced to undergo. But um, I'm not surprised that they are where they are. I think James Walker – I think a lot of James Walker is a coach. I think, um, you know, when we were talking about who's going to be the next sevens coach, he was a guy that I kind of, you know, pointed at as a guy that should be – and I think that um, what Belmont's doing this year is is good evidence that maybe I wasn't off my rocker when I said that. Um, and and they, they play good defense, and they um, – you know, they've got a good, strong club and a good team culture, and that's something that James is always able to do is to create a good team culture, and, and that goes a long way, especially in sevens.
0: One of the interesting things about this team is that the the players who didn't play a lot on the Belmont Shore first team or who who played on the second team things like that are now being asked to step up. Ed Pitts is is I believe captaining the team and has really become a leader. Uh Eddie McKenna really serious we talk I was talking to him last week, really started to take uh sevens more seriously and and that's that's helped him and he's helped the team. And then you look at someone like Mike Teo. and Mike Tao is, was a player that Pat you profiled in Rugby Magazine earlier much earlier this year and he has emerged Exactly as, as you said he would. Um he he went he was a big player for the U twenties when they won the junior world trophy and he comes back more confident. He's a hooker who can play center and so he's powerful and strong, but he's also got some speed and he has been playing superbly for Belmont Shore. So he's a
3: fifteen hooker center wing, play some scrum half and and sevens, is he, I mean, the kid can play all over the place. He's not lightning fast, so he's not I mean, he's not going to be an international wing. He's not probably not big enough to be an international prop. Uh, but, I mean, the kid's still young, right? So he's on the 20, under-20 20 team, got a lot of room to develop. But his skills are fantastic. He's a, a tough competitor. And he's a pretty hard-nosed kid. He's not afraid to tackle guys much larger than him or, and not afraid to be tackled by guys much larger than him. And he's, he's got a pretty darn good step, too. So, yeah, Tao, is, um, he's a big player for him. Um, and the one guy you can't forget when you talk about Belmont Shore, a guy who I think should be, I think it's somewhat of, a, you know, a disaster that he hasn't been considered a 15-7's and eagle more often in, in recent years is, uh, is Peter Dahl. I think Peter Dahl is, uh, is, uh, is Ryan Roundy with an accent, and I think that the guy should be considered more often, and he's an absolute stud, and just because he doesn't fit the profile necessarily with the size and build, um, I think he gets swept under the rug, but I think Peter Dahl may be the best sevens forward um, that's playing on a club team in this country right this summer. And if he's not, he is, not, he's he is excellent. He
0: got hurt by injuries, bad timing didn't help him. Uh, but I remember seeing him play for the Eagles against Ireland in in '09, and he was he was terrific. Uh, Southern California gets three seeds, and and it was really nice to see. This is the first time. In a while, Southern California has gotten three seeds and deserved it based on how good their third team was. Uh, their third, fourth, fifth, even sixth team in that region, including the old Aztecs too. Santa Monica, Tempe, were all very strong. So it's good to see that level of competition. Um, and that, that follows the theme through this whole show. Um, Marfu is stronger. The South... Well, they're leaving behind a pretty decent team in in Atlanta, and they didn't even have life playing this year. Uh, Northeast, maybe not deep, but Middlesex, still a very good team. Um, Also pretty deep, somewhat deep, I guess. And the final region we were talking about is the Pacific Coast. And uh, here the big shame is that there was not a team from Utah coming through. They have so much talent, and they just couldn't get it together organizationally And, um, I'm, you know, Bruce, I don't know if you have any insight into that, but because you do have connections in Utah, things like that, but how infuriating is it that you have a a pool of talent like in Hawaii, where they had, uh, they put together a series and they're coming in with a really good Tamalei Lions team led by Ben Mamea. And that's going to be great. Why is it that Utah couldn't? come up with... I mean, one team. They should come up with three or four, but why couldn't they come up with one team?
1: Maybe they just don't want to play sevens. What? You know, I mean...
0: I, it,
1: it, in order for them to compete and to be in the qualifying tournaments in the West, it's not necessarily easy or cheap to... Or, you know, first you got to get organized within your club and then decide who you're going to play for. And, you know... They don't really have one club that they would, you know, that they can rally around and get behind. And, and then on top of that, you need to have somebody who can organize the financing, the coaching to get it all, to bring it all together. And, and probably there just isn't the desire to pull that off. Now you can possibly see maybe BYU or Utah as a college team trying to pull it off, but I you know, I just don't think unless they wanted to do it through the union and have the union finance it. You know, I, I it, it's not that easy to to do it in the West as probably as much as it is to do in, say, the Northeast or in the Chicago area and you know, in Southern California.
0: I think I think you're right. I think distance is a big uh, uh, a big obstacle, but at the same time, the speed limits are higher in Utah, so you could probably get further uh, in less time. Uh, Pacific Coast did have their tournament. The big surprise was uh, Olympic Club beating San Francisco Golden Gate in the semifinals. Golden Gate had beaten Olympic Club twice already in, in the summer, but the deal is Golden Gate had stayed home and played in their Nesquik series, which um, is a nice series, but is the same teams over and over again. The Olympic Club had gone to Southern California. They looked for a competition outside of their region, and they came back a slightly hardened team as a result, and I think that's one of the reasons why they won. Um, old Puget Sound Beach, not only did they win the entire tournament, they won it having split their squad and they sent uh, another team, uh, a mostly v- uh, foreigner-based team, up to Vancouver and, and did fine just there. So their their depth is amazing. And the thing about Puget Sound is... That if you have a team where you've got like Miles um, Craigwell and Mike Palafau and Kellen Gordon and Mike Nelson and uh, players like that playing on one team, and you look across the field and they're playing against Emosi Vukagu and uh, Willie Rasalika and Filippo Titu and Isimeli Davita, um, they're pl- when they're practicing against each other. That's that's a really impressive game for them to be playing. So the depth of talent and the fact that they're going to be leaving home uh, a couple of really high-level Fijian players because they're limited on the foreigners they use, it's actually going to work to their advantage. Um, Puget Sound didn't make nationals last year because they lost out to Utah. The year before, they made nationals. They really had to struggle to make nationals, and they ended up winning the entire thing. Um, so I like them very much. I think they've played extremely well. You, okay, so guys, do you have a pick for uh, a winner? Is there somebody you really like? Uh, Bruce, you go first. I mean, smart money
1: has to be on Puget Sound. They have they have speed, they have ability, they have experience. So I, I think that your smart money would be betting on Puget Sound. You know, I'm not saying that in sevens anything can happen. I, you know, I think that they'll get to a pool play. And you never know in a knockout round, but it would be, I would be quite surprised if, if they didn't, if they didn't have the ability to, to carry forward and, and win a national championship. That That's what I, where I would say my money would have to go if I was betting.
0: Pat, what do you think?
3: I think it's Puget Sound, Chicago Lions, Olympic Club, and, um, old Aztecs are the teams that really have a good shot at winning this thing. You know, don't I wouldn't completely count out the Denver Barbarians either. Um, I would say that those five are where the champion's going to come from. Um, of those five, the two that have the best chance, in my opinion, are are uh, the Chicago Lions and and uh, Puget Sound. It's really tough to say. I don't know the Lions' injury situation well enough, and I don't know if the guys from old Puget Sound who are actually going to be on the twelve man have played together enough because you got the Sarevi selects the Sarevi you know, G team, the old Puget sound, the Seattle, you know, Mariners. I, I never know which teams on which one when That's a team it. from Seattle is playing on a team. So, you know, I don't know their situation well enough either to tell you definitively who my favorite is. And both of them have had close enough games um, somewhere along the line to where I think that uh, there are other teams that can, that can beat them. Uh, but I, I guess looking at the names on the paper, it's old Puget sound, but I definitely think it's, I, I will pick, the Chicago Lions, to go in a different way. And I think that they have just as good a chance as Puget Sound to win. Um, so they're my pick. But I think that it comes from that group of five,
0: and the Lions and, and OPSP are the two favorites. I think, I think Beach really has it, partly because you talk about being able to play together. Uh, this is mostly the same team that won the championship two years ago uh, with the addition of Miles Craigwell. And the, with the addition of Mike Palafow, those are two enormous additions. Palafow is probably playing as well as any player uh, played for the USA on the circuit. Um, I really like – and then you you add in a couple of other guys. Tim Stanfield, Patrick Blair from, uh, from Central Washington might be interesting to see how they do. Uh, old Aztecs they i think they're still getting better and i think that that was perhaps the scary thing about them is they're not they haven't really hit their stride yet uh so those are definitely teams to watch i think um you know ha- having said Skulko river may not be as good as they were last year perhaps more they won't finish as high as they were last year they're still a good team if Ambroji is uh is is healthy that really helps them um don't forget that old blue has won a championship not all that long ago and been in the finals not all that long ago chicago lions have won championships as well denver doesn't seem to win you know finish that thing but the, but um as you said pat they have pace so uh that's one of the missing ingredients i really like this tournament um very rarely do i look at the national playoffs and and think that we've got 16 teams that are really good sevens club teams but I really like it I think that we've got not only do we have 16 I think we've probably got about 20 22 21 teams that are really quite good sevens teams in this country and I think that bodes well for the game as a whole hey fans go
3: to rugbyimports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs whether you're kitting out your team with our American made jerseys stocking up on training supplies or just getting a new pair of boots Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to
1: RugbyImports.com.
0: Hey, everybody. Don't forget that the largest rugby tournament in the country is coming up sooner than you think, February 7th, 8th, 9th, in Las Vegas. The Las Vegas Invitational It's wrapped around, of course, the USA7s International Tournament. And it has everything you want in a rugby tournament. Thousands of players, over 200 teams, uh, kids, kids, Adults, college, elite level, international level. Uh, You've got the CRC qualifier. You've got uh, women's, 15s and 7s. It's all everybody would ever want in a rugby tournament. And you get to see the USA 7s. And you get to be in Las Vegas. Go to USA7s.com. Check on the LVI link and see how to pre-register. We're about to get wrapped up here, but I I wanted to skip out Of uh, sevens, just for a moment, because uh, we have we we had the uh, two announcements this this past week of of prominent coaches stepping down. Uh, One of them being Paul Keeler, the director of rugby at San Francisco Golden Gate, which will be hosting the sevens championships. Um, He's uh, basically stepping down. Uh, They they talk about it is because um, his job requires the work of two people and he's also been coaching at Santa Clara and it's just sort of time for him to step away kind of another so almost similar decision with Ray Lehner former Eagle who was coaching at Olympic Club he will not be coaching Olympic Club as a head coach anymore he might still help with them coaching but he's been coaching both the Boys and girls teams at Bishop O'Dowd School, and uh, is concentrating on that. Um, Bruce, I know you know both of those guys, um, especially Paul. Um, what do you think about uh, that? Those moves by them, um, and 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 what that would, how that would affect those clubs?
1: And obviously, you need to, you know, you need to always be thinking about transition and it's something that you know we discuss at, at our club all the time about how do we how do we maintain being able to move on in the event something happens. You like you know, I, I when I speak with Neil McMillan and, and Fury and stuff like hey you get hit by a bus tomorrow, what are we gonna do? And you just want to make sure that you have things in place to allow continuity and it doesn't have to be the same. It just has to be it just has to be that it's that you're doing things in a way that can breed success um i I think that with coaching men's rugby more so than coaching schools rugby it there's a lot of outside stress involved in the men's game in in that you're really dealing with people who have a lot of life issues that are. That are not necessarily, and in the school environment, not saying that the kids don't have problems, but it, it tends to be a bit more carefree, and you tend to have a bit more support from the school in and of itself in terms of facilities. Kind of have a captive audience in terms of players and player pool. Not to say you don't have to recruit, and you don't have to, you know, make it matter and and have it be. Something that that is that that's a great experience for the people, but it it does really start to wear on you in, in the men's rugby. I was I was talking to Dan Payne about this yesterday, and just saying that toward the end of a season, like you know the week leading into the Super League final, I was like, I didn't care if I saw another rugby ball again. You know, it was I was I was at wit's end, and and that kind of happens almost at the end of every year and it especially happens at the end of championship years where you think you're going to be elated about it. You're just so glad it's over. Um, There's just, there's so many things that go into it that are non rugby related that just eat away at your heart, eat away at at your mind. And, and it, in a lot of ways, it takes a lot of the fun out of it. And I, and I think that, that's kind of where Paul and Ray might've been, or they might've just stepped off before it, it got to that point. Uh, you'll find even, you know, when you, when you even look at, at other sports, you'll, you'll see that college coaches tend to last a lot longer than professional coaches or coaches, people who coach adults. They just don't last. As, you know, they college coaches can stay around for, 25, 30 years, 20 years, 22, you know, that kind of thing. And that just doesn't happen when you're dealing with men and adult men in particular, there's always something going on that just, it's it's the off the field stuff. It's way more stressful and way more difficult to deal with than the on the field stuff. The on the field part of it's quite easy. It's actually quite enjoyable. The off the field stuff really takes its toll on you. And at some point, you, you got to look at yourself and say, "What the hell am I doing this for?" I can add a little bit more value somewhere else. And I think that that's that's kind of what they did. I, you know, Paul does have a passion for uh, developing youth rugby, and and you know, he built up something in in the youth program at Golden Gate. He's you know worked a bit with the St Mary's program and with Tim O'Brien and Johnny Everett, you know, at least in conversationally and stuff like that and going over and and, and doing a few things. And I think that having the opportunity at Santa Clara and especially when you're looking at a place that has vibrant high school rugby like California, they, and, and, and working within a Catholic school environment when you see that a lot of the high school teams throughout the country that are successful tend to be Catholic schools because they don't have to necessarily deal with the rigmarole that and regulations and, and, and problems that it might be putting, uh, putting programs into public schools that I think that he sees that as, as an opportunity to really do something special within rugby. And, and, and with Ray, I think that he does have, you know, he coaches his, his high school freshman football team and he has a real passion for that. And I think that he has a real passion for doing things at the school level and, and you can kind of lose. That you know you go through a group of guys, and it's difficult to continue to go through different groups of guys, and you gotta kind of get them on board with the way you do things and the way you operate, and it, it it isn't necessarily an easy thing. And then you're also dealing with their outside outside stresses of of work, money, girlfriends, and and then on top of the fact of the the club issues of money, travel. And, and availability, injury, um, um, uh, injury management, doctor bills, physical therapists. There's so many things that, that have nothing to do with the game of rugby, but have everything to do with whether or not you're successful. Sad. I mean, I, I hate to p- paint such a dismal picture because it's not it's not dismal, but I think that that's what happens. To I think that that's what happens. It does get it does get very very tough and it does get very tiring and don't necessarily always have the satisfaction that you have at the school level.
0: Well, the the, the money issue is interesting because, uh, you know, you start to pay someone to be coach or director of rugby, and there's not a lot of money around, and there are still volunteers, and, and you still need volunteers. Just because you're paying someone doesn't mean they have to do absolutely everything, but we, we, we kind of end up, doing that where we we look at someone and uh, and just sort of throw it on them we still need volunteers and we still need volunteers at every level of the game we still need volunteers to help put a test match on so thank you to uh, Paul Keeler for the work he's done at San Francisco Golden Gate and thanks to Ray Lehner uh, two highly accomplished uh, coaches and hopefully we'll see them at uh, the higher levels of men's rugby again but it has to be the right Uh, thing for them uh we've covered pretty much all we can on the club sevens uh situation uh thanks to jackie for stopping in and telling us a little bit what's going on with the women's side so i thought thought that was interesting and thanks again to a slowly melting and roasting pat clifton over in kansas city um uh, pat hopefully you'll survive through the summer and and get us back into the fall soon
3: yeah hopefully i do and i cannot wait till the leaves start dying not because of heat but because
0: you know winter's right around the corner Ah, oh, and you also get to see leaves dying which is always good if you hate plants and uh and bruce McLean, uh thanks again those are good insights and those are the types of insights that we need from you
1: yeah i mean and and again those are my words that, that that's not their words but i i would venture to say that it is it is kind of that those were probably some of the factors that, that played into it um and I think that Pat just wants to see the leaves die so football season starts.
0: That's right. Well, uh, the, the other thing being that uh, it's a good thing we don't actually get your words, Bruce, because we wouldn't be able to put them on the show. Um, well, thanks a lot uh, for you guys, and, and thanks to everybody for listening. This is Rugger Matrix America.